Okay, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll, they'll get you one. And we're going to be starting a new series called Passages. And for the next seven weeks, myself and eight other people are going to be talking about how different passages in the Scripture have spoken to us and have directed our lives. I wanted to go through this series for a few things. I, I wanted to, to share not only the importance of the Scripture and why we are so geared towards that and hearing God through the Scriptures, but I also wanted you to hear how God has spoken to other people in our community. It would be a tragic thing if Sunday was the only time God ministered to you. It, it would be, I shouldn't say it's a tragic thing. It's a good thing, but there's so much more to be had. There is so much more that God wants to speak into our lives. And I hope that Sunday is just a taste, just an hors d'oeuvre. But the main course should be something that takes place between you and God. It's something that should be ongoing. The, the depth of your relationship with God is really up to you. And I would hate for you to think it was dependent on us and the time here. And so hopefully what we do this morning is just give you a tease of what God really wants to further do in your life so that that relationship can grow so that you can hear and be directed by God himself. And of course, we pray and desire to be used in that communication. But again, this is just a fraction of what God wants to do. And so hopefully through this series, we'll encourage you to want to, to read, to want to hear from God. Now, one of the things you may have noticed as I talk about the scriptures that I don't call it the Bible very often, except when I say, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Most of the times I call it the scriptures. And, and there's a reason I do that. One, that's how they're referred to in the scriptures. They don't say the Bible says. And what has happened, I think, in a large degree is we have taken away the mystery that is there in the scriptures. And, and we've made it this one book. And you see, this is not just one book. And you're saying, yes, it is. You're holding up one book right there. Get over that, okay? <laughs> what this is is 66 different books written by 40 different authors or over 40 authors spanning 1,600 years of time. And yet in all these books written by all these people over all these years, there is a clear thread that knits them all together, the hand of God working in our history, in the history of man, through the nation of Israel, and through the church. And it is something that we are able to see and be part of. And as we look to this, we, we want to know, how does God speak to us through this book? Because I, I've got to tell you the truth. There are times when I read this and I might as well be reading a dictionary. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but it's just true. There's times when I read this and I'm like, oh God, give me something. 
And it's not necessarily the book I'm reading. You know, I'm going through numbers and I'm going through some kind of genealogy or something and it's just boring. I might be reading even the verses that have been my favorite in the past and I'm just like, come on, get me something out of here. And so if you feel that way, I just want you to know I feel that way too. And I think it's intentional. I know, I want to cry over it. And what, what I've, I've discovered and I've seen is that, you know, in any relationship, one of the things we constantly fight against is taking it for granted. In the relationship with my wife, it, it's easy to take her for granted, the things that she does for me, the benefit that she is to our home. And so I'm constantly having to up my game. I'm constantly having to invest in her and the time with her and appreciate her. And I, I can't just say, well, I said I loved you yesterday. That should be good. <laughs> Ditto, you know. It, it doesn't work like that. And so to be able to keep love alive in our home, we have to invest in it. And sometimes that's work. Sometimes we go through dry spells and then sometimes we have these great refreshings and just are able to enjoy the companionship that God has given us in one another. But it takes effort. And I think the same thing is true in the scriptures. It takes effort. It takes seeking. Matthew 7 Verse 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And the tense there is not just to seek once, but it's to keep on seeking. It's not to just ask once, but it's to keep on asking. Not knock once, but to keep on knocking. Like the high schoolers did at my door last night. They just kept knocking. And then they gave me a dead plant. And, and took a picture of it with me. I appreciate you guys so much. <laughs> but it's to be hungry for these things, to seek after these things. And it's something that we recognize that we really do need to do. And Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture, there is that word, Scripture, is God-breathed. Now, some of your translations might say inspired, but God breathed is a more accurate rendering of this text. And think about that, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it says that it's useful, and you should mark these things down for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As we go through this series and everyone shares different passages and what they've meant, what those passages have meant to them, you're going to see that those passages did one of these things. It was profitable in teaching, instructing, giving information, helping them to understand. For rebuking, that's calling you on something. Hey, you're not doing what you're supposed to or you're doing what you're not supposed to, calling you on it. Correcting it is putting you on the right path, steering you in the right direction. 
You know, a lot of times people have these ideas about God. Yeah, well, this is what I think about God. You know, if you just really work hard, then God's going to love you. It's like, well, no, this, let me correct you. The scripture tells us that it is by grace, that his love is given freely. We don't deserve it or need to earn it. So that corrects us. It puts us on the right track. It gives us understanding. And training in righteousness, that covers so much. And so the scripture is meant to do these things in our lives so that we can be thoroughly equipped, completely having what we need for all the things that we need to do, the good things that we need to do. And so as we go through these series, you're going to hear different passages, how they came alive, how God breathed through them into our souls and into our lives and changed us and directed us. And I'm going to start off, and I'm going to start off with Matthew chapter 9. You can open there. But first, I want to give you a little framework of when this passage spoke to me. I was new in, in following Christ. I was pretty new in my relationship with Jesus. And I had come from a place where I was involved quite a bit with drugs and partying. I had moved from Hollywood to Santa Monica, where I started high school at Samo High there in Santa Monica. I'd gotten connected with some people, and we were pretty much into smoking pot and a lot of other drugs, activity, party. I had a couple of girlfriends at the time. It was the 70s, and you were allowed to have a couple at the time, I think. At least that's the excuse I used. And so I, I just had this kind of lifestyle. And then my mom and my stepfather, they, they separated. My mom went to Topanga Canyon, and I was still living in Santa Monica for a while. But then my stepdad kind of started getting wigged out. And so I moved, actually got busted for drugs. And so I had to move from Santa Monica to Topanga and lived with my mom above someone else's house. We lived in the space. It was, used to be a church that got turned into a house. And we lived in the upstairs portion of this other guy's house in Topanga Canyon, where I used to hitchhike to school to Santa Monica because I didn't want to go to school in the valley. I was the beach guy. Yeah. Um, So I I went to school in Santa Monica. I'd hitchhike to school in Santa Monica, hitchhike home, sometimes take the bus if no one was giving me a ride or if it was raining and I just needed to get there fast. And, And it was just kind of a wild life. I mean, the hitchhiking, there was always a party in someone's car happening, something going on. It was just kind of a crazy life. And in the middle of this, I I came to this realization through a series of circumstances that Jesus was real, and I accepted Christ in my life, and all of a sudden things started changing, and it wasn't soon after I, I came to faith in Christ that we moved, and it was a good thing, from Topanga Canyon to live with my aunt and uncle in Covina where I went to another high school that's not even there anymore. It was called Royal Oak. I didn't know anybody. Started going to a church, got to know a few people at church, but basically didn't know anyone at the school. Had one friend who I lived in the neighborhood who I kind of met. And then we moved again to Glendora. And so I went to three different high schools and basically a year and a half. And then moved to Glendora, and we started going, I started going to school in Glendora, 
and again, didn't really have a connection with some people. And so I started making new friends there. Uh, again, was going to church, got involved with this Christian club called the Shalom Club because they were Christians and that's what you're supposed to do, I thought. But I, I remember going home one day and thinking, you know, my life kind of sucks right now. I don't really have the friends that I used to. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I know Jesus is your friend, but, you know, it'd be nice to have other ones too. Otherwise, you're kind of a crazy person, you know, just talking to Jesus all the time. I know what that looks like. I don't, I, I want, I'd like to have some friends. I kind of miss my life. And then someone had told me that, well, I found out that this girl liked me the way that all high school guys find out a girl likes them. It's through her friends. You don't find out on your own. Someone's got to tell you because we're clueless on those things. She likes you. Huh? And so I found out this girl named Tina liked me, and I thought, oh, okay, there's something. And, and Tina was, you know, she was pretty easy on the eyes, and I had heard she's pretty easy overall. <laughs> just letting you know. And it captured my attention. She didn't live far from me, and I was thinking, you know, I think I'm going to go see Tina. Yeah. And I was thinking this and just kind of wrestling with where I was and what I wanted and where I used to be and I was in conflict with these things. And I had gotten a new Bible, and I was reading my Bible. And you're saying, how can you be reading your Bible and be thinking about Tina? It happens all the time. Well, I mean, it doesn't happen to me all the time anymore, but <laughs> those kinds of things happen all the time, just to set the record straight, honey. Those things happen all the time. There are people who are involved with drugs and they still go to church and still read their Bible. And we have these struggles and these battles. It's the Roman 7 syndrome. People who are involved, you know, with pornography, but they still read their Bible and it can happen in the same day. And, and there's this battle that goes on and we, we start fighting in these things. And so I was in this place and... I'd gotten a new Bible, and I started reading, and we'll pick up in Romans, or Matthew chapter 9, where I started reading. And it said, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Sam, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Now, I don't know if your translation says Sam, but mine did. Mine did. Which is easier to say, verse 5, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Say, get up and walk, you got a guy who needs to be healed. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. 
when I read that passage, God spoke. And this is one of those instances where he rebuked me. He called me on it. And he said, Sam, why are you entertaining evil in your heart? And and I thought of that word entertain. And what does it mean to entertain? You know, when you have company over, my wife entertains them. You know, she, I don't, she does. You know, she, she puts out the tablecloth that's somewhere in our house, you know, hiding. And she gets the, the nice, you know, dishes that are somewhere in our house. You know, I don't know where any of these things are. And she gets that nice butter dish and puts all those things and she makes it appealing and she's entertaining. She's keeping people motivated. It has to, idea, has to do with revolving in your mind. You're, you're engaging something. If you go to the show to be entertained by a movie or a musical group, you, you, you want them to entertain you, to capture you. And you keep that forefront if they're doing the same thing over, if it gets monotonous, if it's a chick flick, you know, those kinds of things. They, they just stop being entertaining. If something doesn't blow up, you know, what's, what good is that movie, you know, kind of an attitude. At least some guys, that's it, you know, and you want to be drawn into this. And I had this very clear picture of what I was doing, that I was entertaining evil thoughts within my heart. And God called me on it. And I can't tell you what took place clearly. First of all, yeah, I was busted, okay? I I was kind of caught in my mind. You see, you can close your door and you can make it so that your family doesn't know, your friends don't know, your pastor doesn't know what's going on in your mind. But God knows behind the closed door when, when nothing else is getting through, when you put on this image and everyone sees you this way, God sees you really. He sees who you really are. Sometimes I don't think we even see ourselves clearly. And I can remember thinking, you know, people think I'm pretty good. The, the people at the church look at me and think, yeah, Sam's he's a neat guy. Yeah, he, he reads his Bible. He's a spiritual guy. The, the kids at the you know, Christian club, they thought I was a neat guy. No one really knew what was going on in my mind, but God did, and he called me on it. He said, Sam, why are you entertaining evil thoughts in your heart? And... and Something else happened. First of all, I was a little bit ashamed. You know, it's like, yeah, you should be. You know, what are you thinking, Sam? What's going on? But you know what else happened? I was really excited. I was excited because God spoke to me. And to think that the one who created everything the one who is responsible for creation and the galaxies and how vast and and mind-blowing that is, was able to communicate to me that cared enough about me to call me on something really was exciting. It really affected me. I remember just breaking out and crying and i wasn't crying because i'm such a bad guy i'm sorry i was thinking i i was crying because i had a father 
who said, Sam, what are you doing? Who saw me and cared enough about me to correct me. And it was one of those times where the scriptures stopped being a dictionary or an encyclopedia or a textbook. They became defibrillating paddles that got rubbed together and brought me to life. Just brought me to life. Changed everything. Never went to Tina's house. Tina who? Can't go there. Just said that so my wife would know. (laughs) Changed everything. And it was a freeing thing to see that God cared enough to speak to me. Enough to engage me right where I was at. I also learned something else about myself. I, I learned, and I guess this is something that I was taught through this passage of Scripture, that my thoughts and my heart are connected. The core of who I am, my heart, is directly connected to what I think and what goes through my mind. What's in your mind? What do you think? Because we all play the the game. I want people to see me this way. I want people to know this about me. What do you think? Because it's out of this abundance of our heart that our mouths speak. It's really what's taking place in our minds that brings out the things that we do. That's why Paul in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think. We talked about in our series, Internal Government, how important that role is. And so I saw that there was a connection with the things that I'm thinking and with who I really am, that they are the same. I'm entertaining evil thoughts. Thoughts are in your mind, but I'm entertaining them in my heart. They're affecting the core of who I am. And so I was aware that it's really important to guard my thoughts, to be careful, because where my thoughts go that's usually where you go. It's an interesting thing in dog training. When you start training a dog to stay, and you want them to stay and not go for whatever the distraction is. You know, people come over the house and you want to tell your dog, go to bed, stay. And then the people come over and you'd want your dog not to jump on the people, you know, those kinds of things. Or, you know, whatever it might be, you're at Starbucks and you don't want the dog to jump up and say hi to all the other dogs. You want them to chill out and stay. And and so as we start teaching a dog how to stay, you can tell if a dog is getting it by where the dog looks. You see, what what I do is I torment the dogs by... um, getting a little toy or treat or something that they really want because I'm teaching them to stay with the distraction. And so I take the ball and I put it there in front of it, a squeaky toy or the little treat, whatever, and I put it there on the floor. And if the dog knows that they can't have it, they'll look away. There's a treat. I can't have it. 
They do. It's the greatest thing. And they'll glance, but they'll look away. There it is. Nope, can't have nope. And you see what's happening in their minds, but they know they can't have it, so I can't even look at it. And if they lock in on it, you know they're going to go for it. Because they're staring at it, they're fixed on it, it's entertaining in their mind, and they go for it. And so one of the things I've learned from dog training, I haven't learned this with the freezer and the ice cream yet, but (laughs) just look away, Sam, look away, close the door. If you entertain something in your mind, you're going to go for it. You're going to go for it. That's where it starts. And so I became aware of of this fact, learning this thing. Now, there's something that's called reticular activating system that takes place. And we learned this with our young adults group on the Chase the Lion series we're going through, call it RAS. What it is, at the stem of your brain, there is a a little cluster of nerve cells. And what the RAS's job is to do is to filter out the input of information that we have. You see, you have just millions of bits of information coming at you all the time. You can hear the air conditioning. You, you hear someone cough. You, you can hear the buzz of the lights or maybe the kids outside. You see a moth fly. You see all the colors that everyone's wearing on all their clothes. All those things are there. That, that input, that information is all coming in. And what your RAS does is it filters out all the unnecessary things. And so it get rid, gets rid of all those things you don't need at that time. And it's telling you, listen to me right now. At least it should be. Now, our RAS system fails us at times. You'll find that it's not working. You're you're watching the game on TV and your wife says something. And your RAS system didn't catch that. Because it was... Bottom of the ninth, two outs, and the last batter was up. And so your RAS system said, oh, you don't need to hear what she's saying. It failed you. It failed you big time. You'll find out how much that's going to cost you. Or else have you ever had someone when you see someone and all of a sudden they're hit in the face with a basketball? You know, boom, they get hit in the face. And you're like, dude, what happened? And, And they always say the same thing. It came out of nowhere. How could it be coming out of nowhere? You know, whatever you were thinking, oh, look at the butterfly. At one point, you had to see ball, you know, boom, and it was there. But what happened is your RAS system said, don't need that bit of information. Look at the butterfly. Boom, gets hit. Now, now why is this important? What we discovered is that We are able to take and filter these things that are coming in, but as you actually take and make something cognitive, you place it out of this RAS field, this temporary field, and actually make a category for it. Here's an example. When you get a new cell phone, and that cell phone has a certain ringtone to it, all of a sudden you become aware of that ringtone. 
You'll hear it somewhere else in the room, and you'll think, that's my phone. Whenever I hear another BlackBerry, I know someone's got a BlackBerry. Why? Because I hear the sound. Oh, that's a BlackBerry sound. I didn't know what that sound was until I had a BlackBerry. And all of a sudden, I became aware. It became a part of my awareness. I put it from that RAS field where ah, it's just out there somewhere to that cognitive, I understand it. Or if you buy a car, if you ever buy a new car, as soon as you drive it off the lot, it's amazing how many other people have that car all of a sudden. Man, I didn't think anyone had a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're everywhere. Why? Because all of a sudden, you became aware of Toyota Corollas. And you saw them. They've always been there. But now your memory is able to bring recognition to that. You see, that's what Scripture does. We hear something, but when we read it and when it becomes a part of our lives, all of a sudden it moves from this RAS field to this cognitive field. We make a category for it. And you see, I can't tell you how many times in my life this Scripture has come back and God has spoken to me over and over again and said, why are you entertaining evil thoughts within your heart, Sam? I find my mind going somewhere and God says, Sam, why are you entertaining evil thoughts within my heart? It, it's no longer just this noise. It's not this, you know, voice that I don't distinguish. All of a sudden it is my master's voice, my, my God, my, my Lord, and he is once again calling me reminding me situations come up and there's that voice there's that scripture stamped into my mind stamped into my heart that's why the psalms say your word have i hidden in my heart that i might not sin against you why is it important to know scripture that's why it takes it out of this field of not important, puts it into this cognitive area. And now when you're doing something that you need to be called on, God's there to say, do you remember this passage? Do you remember this? Because I've needed it over and over again in my life. I've needed to remember these things over and over again. And, and you know what? This is really struck me and in this passage what was the evil that they were entertaining in their hearts it was lack of belief that jesus was who he said he was it was not trusting that this was the messiah and i believe that the biggest problem we have and the problem that I was having at that time and the problem I still have to this day and I think many of us do is that we don't really believe that God has what's best for us we don't really believe that God knows what's going on God I was having a lot of fun back then look at me now God I don't think you've got the right you know blueprint for my life 
You're missing some things. I I need to fill in the blanks because I don't think you're quite doing the right job. I I don't think you have it. And so what we do is we don't trust Jesus and we're entertaining evil within our hearts because of our lack of faith. And you see, when they did believe in Jesus, it brought about the healing of a man who was just lame for all his life. And the faith in God brings health to our bodies, health to our soul. It brings about this life connected to God. How many of us are entertaining this evil in our thoughts, in our hearts? I don't really need God here. This is something I can take care of. I don't really need to believe in Jesus all the time just when it's convenient. I don't really believe that he has my best interest in mind. I I believe I know what's better for my life. I don't really believe Jesus is who he says he is. And I hope we can hear the voice of God say, Sam, why are you entertaining evil thoughts in your heart? Don't you know who I am. And God is wanting us to be aware of who he is so that we can recognize not only who he is, but he's able to heal you. That he does know what's best. You do have to trust. And you do have to labor with it. I'm so glad I never went to Tina's house. I've made plenty of mistakes. There's been plenty of times where I didn't listen. Where I did entertain evil thoughts in my heart. And there's going to be plenty of times that you do too. But I will never forget when God quickened me to understand this passage. And the effect that it had on my life ever since. And this is just one of how many passages. There's a wealth of information here because the scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I hope you desire that good work and you want to hear, and you'll open the scriptures for yourself and read. Let's pray. Father, I I still get moved when I think about the times that you have spoken to me. I, I still am touched at those times when I know that your voice intervened in my life, that you care enough to rebuke me, that you care enough to to teach me, to enlighten me, you care enough to correct me and put me on the right path, that you desire to train me up in what is right. And you use the scriptures to do just that. God, I, I think 
how many more times do I want this to take place? Because I don't want this event in my past to be my only event. I want you to speak to me today and tomorrow. And so, Lord, I recognize that the scriptures that you've given us, they're your words breathed on pages to help us, to engage us, to bring us in line with the life that we can have in you. God, I pray that this would be, again, a motivation for us to engage into this book and the things that are in all these passages and allow you to speak to us. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.